Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Skinner and the Sabres get a power play goal to take a one nothing lead. Working the line to Wall. Tuck slides it across. Far side scores! What a shot! Jeff Skinner parked over that far side of the ice, made no mistake at all. The Sabres power play going two for two here in this period. They lead it 2 0. Quinn touch back for Paterka, back to Quinn across the Montreal line with a shot. Scores! What a shot by 22! Tuck will stay within the corner, sends it behind the net. Nice walk out in the backhand. Scores! Jeff Skinner and Tage Thompson both combined to get it to the front of the net. That is empty for Montreal. The puck's in the back of that one. Rasmus Dahlin fired it down the ice. It's a two-on-one. Thompson takes the pass, scores! Tage Thompson from Jeff Skinner again here tonight. And say Happy New Year with Devin Levi picking up a win in his first start in his hometown as he's met by Jordan Greenway and the rest of his teammates. 6-1, your final score. Win for the Sabres last night at Montreal. A win for Yuri Kulik in Czechia today in the bronze medal game at the World Juniors. USA Sweden is coming up. And Marty, I have to ask, was that, in fact, the longest empty net goal of Rasmus Dahlin's career? I think it was. And look, it he's was had a- 183 feet. It was, you know. Feet. 183 feet, uh, surpassing his earlier 178-footer against the Colorado Avalanche, which, of course, was three times the length of his empty netter versus Arizona. So there you go. Mindless facts to start on a Friday here on Sabres Live. I said 192 yesterday because when I looked at the ice, it's 200 feet long. It's got about 10 feet behind each net, so it's 180 from goal line to goal line. And I felt like he was angled enough that maybe it added a few more feet. That's why it's 183. Um, But, yeah, that's uh, that's a long empty netter from one corner all the way in. A couple of bounces to the inside left post. Uh, not too bad for Rasmus Dahlin. And I love that. Like, number one, you know, I, I hate when people say, oh, which happened yesterday, by the way, in the American games against the Finns, where with 10 seconds left and 10 feet from the red line, the one American player iced the puck. I'm thinking, oh, you don't want to ice the puck here. You want to get the red line. But when you're in the corner and you have full possession of the puck and you can just try to take a shot at the net, absolutely do it and ice the game there. And Darlene did it yesterday, although they were up by a couple yes. by that point. 
<laughs> exactly. And uh, that seems to have been kind of the tale for him when he's got the empty netters this year. They have been in enlarged victories, so yes. to speak. So difference. Uh, well, it's a good take. I mean, it allows him to vault once again back into the defenseman scoring lead, goal scoring lead in the NHL as he has 11. Um, there's a fair amount to get to from last night. But I think we need to do a little uh, tip of the cap to Yuri Kulik today. This was yes. an incredibly challenging tournament for Czechia. They entered it with a veteran like Yuri as their leader. It's his third tournament. They lost in overtime in the gold medal game last year to Canada. Mm -hmm. They exacted their revenge this year in the quarters against Canada. They lost a tough one in the semis. They're in a position where they're going for bronze. They fall behind 2-0 today to the Finns. Yuri opens the scoring for them. And then, Marty, as this game wildly unfolded, they found themselves down 5-2. They were down 5-3 in the third when Yuri scored to get them close. And they ended up scoring, the Czechs did, four times in 50 seconds in the second-to-last minute of the game. Yeah. And they went from a 5-4 deficit to an 8-5 win, which included two empty netters. And Yuri Kulik is the player of the game. And I believe, unofficially as it stands right now, is tied for the tournament lead in goals and tied for the tournament lead in points. What a what a way to cap out his world junior career. I, I remember when we talked to Chris Baker uh, before Sabres game last week, I believe that was the Columbus game. Um, he'd mentioned that for Yuri Kulik, it wasn't a hockey development tournament. It was a maturity and leadership development tournament. So we knew he was going to perform well. And if he didn't, then it's like no big deal. Like, you, you know, your third world juniors, you're an, a professional hockey player now playing in the American League. You've had NHL games. So um, it's about your leadership. It's about stepping up when your team needs you to step up. And throughout the whole tournament, I think that when Czechia needed a goal, when Czechia needed something, it was Yuri Kulik. It mm -hmm. was Kulik down 2 nothing today. It was Kulik down 5-3 to make it 5-4. It's Kulik on the tying goal with the goalie pull that takes the shot, rebound, goes in the net. Yeah. It was Yuri Kulik every time Czechia needed something. That's leadership. That's give me the ball, right? Like the old, uh, you know, the movie, The Replacement, Keanu Reeves is talking to Gene Ackman. Gene Ackman says, winner, want the ball. So he says, give me the ball. Yuri Kulik is like, give me the puck. I am a winner. I'm going to make something happen here. Mm -hmm. Now, is he better than most of the players at the tournament? Yes. Is he more experienced than some of the, the players at the tournament? Yes. But you still have to perform. You still yeah. have to produce when you're asked to. And mm -hmm. he's saying, give me the ball, give me the puck, and I'm going to get it done. Yeah, he ends up with four points. He's in on half of their goals today. Uh, ends up with six, six, and 12 for the tournament. And that's on the heels of incredibly productive two previous tournaments at this level. So it all trends in the right direction for Yuri. And obviously, he'll be back with the Amherst soon enough. Uh, perhaps as early, I would assume, as next weekend when yeah. they are taking it outdoors in Charlotte for the Queen City Classic. So wouldn't that be a fun way to get back into the AHL? They, of course, have an indoor game in Charlotte on Friday, do the Amherst before they play outdoors on Saturday. But Rochester tonight uh, is uh, home. They're taking on the best team in the division in Cleveland. We'll touch more on that later. We've got Shana Goldman coming up, our Friday staple here on Sabres Live. And, of course, it's all on the heels of... Uh, Another pretty big night. Um, I shouldn't say another. Well, you can say another, but just 
not like in consecutive games, right? Like the Sabres have yeah. had <laughs> many offensive games where we talk about Middlestad having a multi-point night, Darlene having a multi-point night. Last night, it was nine points from the Skinner-Thompson-Tuck line. Mm-hmm. The challenge is doing it in consecutive games here. So we'll see how often that becomes the reality in 2024. But what is the biggest takeaway from last night? If we can just focus where we should singularly right now on the one game that just happened. I'm going to say power play was the biggest focus for me. They get two goals, right? Okay. First of all, let's all remember that there was a Canadian's goal that was waved off. The Canadians had taken a one nothing lead on Yol Armia's goal. Michael Mm -hmm. Pezzetta made a little contact with Devin Levi. Now, in my goalie view of it, like I think Devin still had time to be able to to adjust to the shot, but the contact was made inside the crease by the rule. It is a no goal. It's absolutely called the right way. But I hate when people always say, oh, we get all the wrong calls in Buffalo and they go to Toronto. Toronto hates Buffalo. Let's not forget the calls that go your way. This would have been a one nothing game by the Montreal Canadiens. And I mean, we all know about the first period troubles, the, you know, getting down by giving up the first goal type of trouble. This was not in the first, it was in the second. But still, I'm looking at this as, hey, that's a call that went the Sabres way. You need those to win games sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a call that went your way. Then you drew penalties in the second period. Three of them, in fact, in the second period alone. You went two for three on the power play in the second period. And you executed what? Your coaching staff basically laid out for you. Coaching staff said, hey, Montreal is a team that puts a lot of pressure up high in the zone. And they often only have one man back in front of the net. We have to attack down low. And, you know, it was it was Skinner to Middlestat on the first one. It was stuck to Skinner on the second one. Well yeah. executed. You know, you move the box around. You attack down low. And you finally score. Now, I did a little digging this morning, Duffer. Sabres have scored 16 power play goals this year, which is not a lot. Don't get me wrong. Should be at least 10 more. It should be 26 to 30 right now uh, and maybe more. But they've scored 16 power play goals this year. Only three of the 16 came from a down low play like we saw twice last night. Mm-hmm. The other one was Jeff Skinner against the Montreal Canadiens in Buffalo earlier this year. We walked the line and went top cheddar on the short side of Jake Allen. So I'm like, okay, is this a trend? Are we going to see the Sabres being able to use the down low as an option? Or was it just that Montreal is terrible down low? Mm -hmm. I still want the Sabres to use the down low because they seem to get more that way, in my opinion. But only three goals that way this year and all three against the Canadians. So maybe it's more about the Canadians' deficiencies that way. Well, sure. I mean, they're bottom three in the league in penalty kill, uh, but that was an area that Buffalo could not exploit against Ottawa, who has promptly turned around and had two crappy games on their Western road trip. So, (laughs) I mean, you know, that's it's all part of the frustration of, you know, the ups and downs of this season and the lack of a linear upward ticking line, uh, you know, to get them back to where they want to be. Do you know who leads the team in power play goals? At this moment, I am going to say Casey Millstaff. No, it's Jeff Skinner by a lot. And the only reason that is significant. By a lot? Yes, by a lot. Oh, you know what? I I looked at all 16 of them. I should know. Six of the 16. Yes. And and Jeff, over the course of his career, has been one of the game's most consistent, even strength goal scorers and has not relied 
on power play goals annually to boost his numbers to where he stands. And so, yeah, it's interesting even more so to me because of how you have broken down moments where the power play hasn't worked, you know, where you don't necessarily want Jeff being the one-timer guy. So yeah, no. I, I, I find it interesting that, and, and maybe it dovetails more into the bigger conversation of because last night was what it was for Thompson, for Skinner and Tuck, can that trio become dominating once again, like they were last year? I realize this is an incredibly small window to focus on, and it's in an arena where historically those players have played very well. But can this game be a launching pad for the line? And I mean that then, obviously, at even strength and leading to power play success, presumably for Thompson. I would hope so. And we've talked about how last year the power play bred confidence into the five-on-five play. When that line was good on the power play, it kind of generated chances five-on-five. They felt the game. They were buzzing. And this year, the power play has done the opposite. It's kind of hold them back. Right. So um, I, I think it's, it's, it's important to point out that it's not often that a whole line is on the power play together, right? Mm-hmm. Usually you pick pieces from your top guys, maybe your top two lines, you put them together. This line here, Thompson, Tuck, Skinner are on the power play together. And when they have success on the power play, it helps their five on five game. And when they have success five on five, that, that cycle keeps going because then the power play gets going. It's, it's all, for me, it's all important to have consistency in your game, but Mm -hmm. I do believe it's easier to get you, your confidence started with the power play, which is what they did last night, which is important. And, and got to point out too, that, you know, Alex Tuck, you know, Don Granado said after the game, he was gutting it out and he was mm-hmm. low energy. So, um, you know, not everybody, it's it's like everybody else. Uh, some some people have little sickness, little, you know, little things going on and feels like by what Don was saying that, you know, and Alex Tuck did not partake in the morning skate yesterday that mm-hmm. uh, maybe he was, you know, ailing and gutted it out. And he was a big part of, uh, of that line's success too. Yeah, it's okay. Levi made up for his time on ice. Uh... In the absence of his mornings, <laughs> Tuck's yes. morning skate, Devin just stayed out there and out there, which is no surprise because it's all part of his preparation. And you could have almost guaranteed that that was going to happen based on how much he was, you know, wanting to be as ready as humanly possible for that experience last night, which was his first ever game in Montreal. Um, I guess quickly along the lines of Skinner Thompson Tuck, do you see one of those three eventually emerging as the scoring leader on this team, surpassing Casey Middlestat? Or do you think Middlestat, who did have a multi-point game last night as well, is actually trending the way where he emerges as a leader? And this will this will tie in with a further discussion on Middlestat that we have with Shayna at the bottom of the hour. Uh, no, listen, I don't think Casey, when it's all said and done, would be your leading scorer. I, I actually don't even see him being in the top three. And that's not that Casey can't keep it up. Mm-hmm. I think that Skinner with Tuck and Thompson and having the depth of Jack Quinn now with Casey, uh, with uh, Dylan Cousins and JJ Paterka, and then Casey playing with Benson Greenway, uh, is, is going to help Thompson talk Skinner continue to maybe get some favorable matchup, especially at home because you have a top nine now. And so I would anticipate um, probably all three. I mean, it's a little, it's nine points for Thompson to catch Casey Middlestad, but I would think that all three Skinner talk Thompson would finish the season ahead of Casey Middlestad 
uh, when it's all said and done. You still have more than half the season left. So I think I, I could see Casey being fifth, maybe fourth yeah. or fifth. I think Dalene can pass him. So that's where I see Casey Millstadt finishing at the end of the year. My guess is the only one that uh, Middlestat cares about beating in quotations is Rasmus Dahlin because they are so close. <laughs> and if Casey wins that battle, it'll feel like a one season and he would graciously uh, step back and watch Skinner, Thompson and Tuck all overtake him while maintaining his current pace because that undoubtedly would elevate Buffalo's goals per game from 2.9 easily into the 3.4 range, which I think is where they have to get to consistently over the final 40-plus games. Now, Middlestad is leading Skinner and Darlene by a couple of points right now. Tuck, Paterka, Thompson, Cousins in that order are behind. And we talked last night about how it's been frustrating for JJ, which is five assists in the last 10. It's been frustrating for Dylan, just a couple of assists in the last six. But they're getting the results from Jack Quinn, so we'll move on from that. But I want I just every- quickly duffer because you yes. mentioned Darlene. Mm-hmm. And I I, I want to say it again because you said it and it kind of we went and talked and I talked about Le- a few of the leads things. the NHL in goals leads by defensemen. Leads the NHL in goals by defensemen with eleven. Quinn Hughes is at ten, and then you have uh Harley at nine. I'm like, wow, Evan Bouchard at nine, Jake Wallman at nine, Kel McCarr at eight. So I'm like Rasmus Dali leads the NHL in goals by a defenseman with 11. That cannot be understated right now. No, but what I really want people to focus on is the fact that we, when I say we, I mean me, made a huge, huge statistical error last night in our postgame. Now, it was all laid out with best intentions, of course, because we're all very aware of Jeff Skinner's success against Montreal as a member of the Buffalo Sabres. But somehow I put one too many filters into my search on NHL.com when we created the graphic of all-time goal-scoring leaders for the Sabres against Buffalo. And we, me, I, failed to acknowledge many non-Francophone type names in Sabres history, like (laughs) Andrew Chuck, Felino and Vanek somehow were omitted off of this graphic. And maybe it was my love for Gilbert Perrault that simply, you know, anointed him number one in every category. But the list as it properly stands now, all-time goals against Montreal, Andrew Chuck miles ahead with 39. Of course, he played 9 million games. Yes. Perrault, Felino, Rick Martin, Thomas Vanek, Pat LaFontaine, who did 16 goals in 21 games. But that is Hailing in comparison to Jeff Skinner, who is at 15 goals in 16 lifetime games against Montreal as a Sabre. You know me. These are things I love to latch onto when you can count on a player in a critical matchup, like you could always count on Ryan Miller seemingly against Toronto and Craig Anderson against Toronto. Uh, yeah. I love the Skinner and Montreal story. Okay, well, how about this one? And I know it's a smaller sample. Skinner's only played six games in Montreal with the Buffalo Sabres. But he has nine goals in those six games at the Bell Center with the Buffalo Sabres. Huh? How How many points in those games? 16 points in six games in Montreal at the Bell Center with yeah. the Buffalo Sabres. Like that's, yeah. he said that's two better. Like I know, four. I know I that Gilbert, it might be a little higher. <laughs> Gilbert is 43 and 42. Dave yeah. Anderchuk is 30 and 40. Um, you know, Rick Martin has 26 and 19. That's pretty good. Pat LaFontaine, 22 and 11. Uh, that's good. But 16 and six, 
That's not even close to anybody. That's by far the best point per game average in Montreal as a Sabre. Well, that's all fun. And I love the fact that, you know, Skinner, you can count on him. But again, it's more big picture here. It's okay. Jeff is in a good place. um, And I think he'll continue to benefit from Tuck gritting it out. And obviously Thompson, as you talked about last night, fiddling a lot. You know how you know he's in a good place? Because he smiled when Tage Thompson got his goal instead of him scoring. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so that's yeah. being in a good place when you're happy for your your center, your teammate that was sitting at 10 goals and now is at 12, but was sitting at 10 and you're like, I want him to score. I want him to get going. So if he took a goal away from me, I'm still happy for him. That's how Jeff is in a good place. Yeah, and so too is Devin Levi after a win yeah. last night. So the real question, a big question now, given that the road trip continues, short one, in Pittsburgh on Saturday, is it Levi's game in your opinion? Yes, and full disclosure, I thought, oh, they're probably going to go with Lucanen in Montreal, but I get the whole, like, it's his first trip in the Bell Centre in Montreal, and Levi is going to play that one, and he performed well. But again, I go back to... Okay, you you have two young goalies right now, and I think their mind was kind of at the start of the season, let's see what Levi has, and I would still have that same mindset right now. Let's see what Levi has. He played Ottawa. Wasn't a great game for the team in Ottawa, so let's not put that on Devin Levi. Comes back with a really good game against you know, the Montreal Canadiens, let's keep going. Let's see if he can put two out of three together and have consecutive wins. And and let's see if that happens. So yeah, I would go back with Devin Levi in Pittsburgh tomorrow. Levi has not faced Pittsburgh in his career. Lukanen has faced them three times. He's gone one and two. His numbers are actually very good against the Penguins. Um, and obviously on the heels of the Pittsburgh game, you're going to have a six-game homestand, which, by the way, is going to open up presumably against the hottest team in the NHL, which is the Seattle Kraken, who set a franchise record last night, running their point streak to 10 straight games, of which Joey Decord has gone 7-0-2 over yeah. that time. We know Buffalo's never beaten Seattle. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but the homestand does have Seattle, Ottawa, Vancouver, Vancouver seemingly only can't beat St. Louis these days. San Jose, Chicago, and Tampa. And that will round things out. Of note, Marty, I noticed this, and I don't know if I care to research it. My research usually ends up in failure. But if you look at the last five games of that homestand, five different start times. I'm not sure if I've ever recognized that in a homestand before. (laughs) So you've got a 7, a 4, a 1, a 7.30, and a 12.30 as far as start times in the five of the last six and the 7.30, the Wednesday night, is because it is not our game uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks. So that's usually why it's a different start time. But, yeah, I I don't think that uh, um, I would do the research on that. All-time uh, starting time difference in the five-game span. <laughs> but that's an odd uh, look. But also... Shana would love it. She loves staggering start times. So. It's different start time. Be on, be on your toes. Like so many times. I hate that with my kid when he has different start times. Sometimes on Friday, it's eight. Sometimes it's six. Sometimes it's seven. I turn it on. I'm like, oh man, I missed the first period. It was the seven o'clock and not eight. Like I'm just, I hate different start times, but keep yourself on your toes. Be, be aware. Yes, exactly. Um, by the way, you were wrong about the Chicago game. 
it is on MSG. It is. See? Yes, it's also on TNT, but it's also one of ours uh, that we do side by side. So okay, please so that's why don't the seven thirty to watch us. Yes. yes, that's why the seven thirty start because TNT dictates the start of the game, yeah. but we get it on MSG. Yes, we do. Thank you for correcting uh, me. Uh, not on Monday when our no, actually not on Tuesday when our next show is right now. So people don't go out all weekend saying bad things. They're kind of inclined to do that anyway. There's nothing we can say to prevent them from, from doing that. Um, I just want them to go out in the world and say, hey, we got a break yesterday. We got a good call by the NHL go against us because it seems like every fan base only remembers the bad calls. And I there's know. been some good calls go against the Sabres, the Bills, Buffalo sports over the years. There has been. Mm -hmm. Road teams, they won 10 of 13 last night. Yeah, on the well, heels of winning eight of 13 earlier this week on a busy night. So look out. On the heels teams. of the uh, PWHL winning three out of three as, as the road teams, New York, Montreal, and Minnesota all won on the road in their first uh, three games. It could be a huge problem for sports, right? If the home team eventually loses all the time. Because the adage is, if you're going to suck, suck on the road, right? Like you yes. have to play well in front of your home fans. That's why people are coming to the building. <laughs> But if pro sports goes on its ear and no one can win at home, what what kind of financial impact is that going to cause? I, I understand what you're saying, but I would love it so that the league now has to find a way to add a little home ice advantage. Like I want to put the benches across oh, the yeah. ice from each other and put the penalty box next to the home bench like it mm -hmm. used to be. So that when you get out of the penalty box... You come right to the bench, but the away team has that, hey, you stay on the ice, you don't, whatever. Um, and I, I think it's just a simple thing, but if they were forced to make changes, maybe they'd look at it. All right, quick break. By the way, um, you want to guess who's starting in goal for the Amherst tonight? Uh, I am going to say Eric choices. Comrie. Eric Comrie. Yes, you had a one in three chance of getting it right. Yeah. And uh, that is the story that starts to unfold this evening, which is the Amherst's first game of 2024. They're in a home-and-home -home set with Cleveland, top team in the division, just humming right along are the Monsters right now with incredibly balanced scoring and very good goaltending from Jet Greaves. It's the Amherst and Monsters at Blue Cross Arena tonight. You can get tickets at amherst.com slash tickets if you are staying home and have access to AHL TV. I'll be... Uh, Doing color with Don Stevens tonight. Looking nice. forward to it as uh, the Emmerichs will try to make it back-to-back -back wins. And obviously, they will then be taking it outdoors next week as they will be in Charlotte. Lots of NHL stories to get to. Shayna Goldman from The Athletic is next on Sabres Live. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Countdowns are getting shorter around here, Marty. Welcome back on Sabres Live. And we are joined by Shana You're Goldman. not ready. You're not but ready, I, Duffer. I may not be ready. I certainly wasn't ready last night when providing <laughs> uh, statistical information to our crew. But uh, nonetheless, Shana, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show. We, I think, have been trending towards having a full-blown discussion on this for a while. Marty and I are probably going to reserve this for a little bit. But we wanted to utilize your expertise in contract management, contract projections, especially when it pertains to a team's leading scorer who just happens to be a restricted free agent this summer. That would be Buffalo's Casey Middlestad. What are you thinking about Casey and his next deal? So when you think about Casey, I think of the Sabres tendencies first and foremost with their young players, and that's go for the big contract now. And he's already had the short-term contract, so this is the time you would think, especially after the season he's having. So the question is, what might that cost? So two ways I like to look at it. One is with Dom Lushishin's market values. And for Middlestad right now, it is $6.7 million. For an RFA, we generally don't see someone sign up to that number. Um, You know, teams with the leverage, things like that, it just doesn't happen. But in this case, it's kind of intriguing because if you look at Evolving Hockey's projections, and this is for last summer, so we're not factoring in this year, they have an eight-year deal come in around $6.7 million. So it actually could line up. And you have to think that, you know, the projection this year would be a little bit more rich for him considering the season he's having. The number that stood out to me, though, versus an eight-year deal is what they have for a seven-year contract, which is in that $6 million range. It's a little bit high still for someone when you have Tage Thompson on the depth chart ahead of him and you have Dylan Cousins' contract already done. But I feel like a five to $6 million deal in you know this greater cap world that we're going to see next year could be a little bit intriguing. And it's something that should still be cost-effective for the Sabres when you consider his market value. So he's first on the team right now in scoring. But what if by the end of the season, you have Thompson, Skinner, Tuck, Dalene, maybe JJ Paterka, who knows? What if you have four or five players ahead of him? And now he goes from tops to fifth or sixth. Does that really make that big of a difference? Not really. You should hope those players move ahead of him because they are the players you want to be your top six talent. It's top six talent and you want middle side to be your middle six talent. Like there should be a difference there. I think if he's not the leading scorer, does he get $6 million? Maybe not. And that would be completely fine. $6 million might be an overprojection for him. But if he can stay in that $5 million range for a 3C who is at the beginning of his career just going into his prime, it's not a bad investment to have. Every Stanley Cup champion, you can look down the middle and go, except for Vegas, because they were like a little bit weird and had one true top line center like right before they won and before that they didn't. But you look at any other contender and you go, if center depth wins championships, you look at the money that they've invested and you can see one, two, three down the middle tend to be a little bit pricier. When players leave those teams, like you look at Tyler Johnson for Tampa or Nazem Mm -hmm. Kadri. For Colorado, it's because those contracts no longer are cost effective. And it's a different conversation for the Sabres because he's so young. Well, you mentioned Vegas. It was, uh, so Nick Benino, 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 Benino for Pittsburgh years ago that uh, left yeah. and it left a big hole there. 
It did. It did. Now with Vegas, um, their injuries have been more in the crease and on the blue line, obviously without wild bill though. Last night, they lost again. They lost both ends of the rematch series against Florida this year. And for the first time, Shana Vegas, this is the first time ever Vegas has lost six of seven, not to mention seven of nine and don't look particularly sharp on special teams that killed them last night against Florida. Uh, do you have any sense of concern with Vegas right now? I think the Shea Theodore injury to me is the one that is the most noticeable for them. Yeah. Um, I think he is actually their number one defenseman. I think that because he's so good and he can split that workload, it's been better for Petrangelo who like, I'm not knocking. I just think having the two of them together is much better than having just one of them. Um, but that plus the goaltending is starting to weigh on them. And it's interesting, too, because like before this last stretch, their five on five numbers were trending every which way in the right direction. So it was like maybe they can withstand the goaltending. This is a team that we all sit here saying after the Stanley Cup, they can win with average goaltending. Look at them. They're so well built in front of the crease. And now they have weaknesses up front. They're not super pronounced, but they're a weaker team than they were last year when they won because of the Riley Smith subtraction. Now mm -hmm. you have that they're hurting on defense and in goal. It, it's it's really tricky. Am I super concerned? No, because I think they're going to be healthy when they need to be, right? Shea Theodore is expected to come back by the end of the year. Aiden Hill might return soon, too, which is going to be really good for Logan Thompson because he's more of a 1B than a starter. Mm -hmm. So I think Vegas will be fine. And if you're going to have struggles, this is the time to do it. Figure it out now so you have time to assess your team before the deadline. But, like, doesn't look good. There was a really good in-game interview last night with Bruce Cassidy on the bench after they had squandered multiple five-on-three power play opportunities in which he had called the timeout. And he basically said, I called the timeout because I wanted to work on a play that we, a set play that we use, but they just went off and did their own thing. And I was like, <laughs> and it was, I mean, he, he kept looking up at the scoreboard while doing the interview going like, we're down by one here. We got to do this. And we, and it was so intense and it, it was so meaningful to see the fact that this game against the team that they humiliated to eliminate them in the Stanley cup final last year was getting the better of them once again. Yeah. So, Hey, who knows if we'll see Florida Vegas again in a rematch at some point, but uh, I'd be all for it. The the juices are well, there. Outside, so if Vegas is struggling, does that put the Edmonton Oilers in a position to maybe get into the top two in that Pacific division? Because right now the Oilers have four games in hand on Vegas, four and games LA in hand stinks. on Seattle, Ellie's trouble, Vancouver. They have three games in hand on Vancouver, and they're only. 10 points back from like Vegas is and, and the Edmonton Oilers have won six in a row. So can the Oilers now like say, Hey, they're back to being a cup contender and, and a top team in the Pacific division. The situation's there for them, right? They just yeah. have to grab it. And that was the case going into the season too, right? We were like, okay, this is a team that can do it. Here we go. The Pacific division, they're good, but they're not going to be as amazing. So it's all about whether they, like, they can seize the moment, which has been their biggest problem. But they should be able to make the playoffs. They should be able to get, I think, more than just a wild card seed because you're seeing other teams struggle at the same time. It feels like the one, two, three in the central are so locked up. No offense to Nashville. UC Saros has been fantastic the last month, but like I don't see them making it. So those spots should be going to two Pacific Division teams. The fact that the Flames have completely burnt out, you know, opens the door to three Pacific teams making it. So I think Edmonton has the opportunity to jump up. And I think whoever slides out should still be fine. And in a playoff spot, like I'm not concerned about Vancouver, Vegas or LA making it. 
But I, if I'm Edmonton, I absolutely try to take this moment because they squandered so many opportunities to be that top team sooner. And obviously that's what you want because you don't want to fall into a wild card seat and have to face off against Colorado. Nobody should want that. We're going to find out really quick uh, whether LA was legit in the first half when they go on the road for six. They're the best road team in the NHL, but they can't win at home. They cannot win at home. Their production goes down. They, you know, they lost their fourth in a row last night. I'm super excited to see if Brant Clark gets uh, a real good run here on this uh, on this road trip for them. But uh, but yeah, last night was a major disappointment as they squandered one to Detroit, who, you know, Marty, kind of like what we talked about with the Sabres, it was yeah. the first time in a long time that Detroit had been able to put together back-to-back wins on their trip. So um so it makes it all the more interesting. Do you have a quick thought on uh, on Seattle, Shayna? The fact that they have now extended their point run to a franchise best 8-0-2, a 10-gamer. I know they've still got time left to, to play before they come to Buffalo next week, but what are your thoughts on the Kraken? So two things come to mind. One, it's you couldn't have expected them to repeat their scoring season of last year. Year one, it was like the super low shooting percentages all around. Year two, you have super high percentages all around. So you're going to expect something in the middle. And that's what we saw, the, you know, to open the year. And it hurt the higher end players that you expect to be the difference makers, the Maddie Beniers of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have a balanced approach. That's great and wonderful. They still have a very good defense. That's a great and wonderful. The penalty kill is outstanding. They were good in October. They were one of the worst in the month of November, not just in net, but in front of the goaltenders. And they have completely turned it around to be one of the best teams in the month of December. And this is a team that you kind of see them built to thrive on the penalty kill. That's what they have. They have all these, you know, character players and players who can grind it out and two-way talents. So if their penalty kill isn't clicking, that's a problem because their power play you don't expect to be. But for me, the storyline for them is the goaltending. It's yes. Joey Decord. He has been excellent. And Alison Lucan brought this up to us a couple weeks ago on Too Many Men that she feels like as much as we look at the public expected goal models, and this is what we have to work with, she didn't feel like they were giving a fair shake to the cracking goaltenders and was breaking down why and what we see and how the numbers line up and how you have to find something in the middle sometimes to really have the context behind it. You know, the chances that the goaltenders were facing, how difficult they were, if they were off the rush, that should make it a more valuable shot. But we just can't measure that in the public sphere. Um so Decord's numbers coming into being the starter looked really poor, but it's nice to see how much he's outperforming it right now. He has been absolutely positively excellent for them. We haven't been able to say much throughout their tenure that they have steady goaltending, and right now they do. Okay, so sometimes you got to look at the basic numbers as well. 7-0-2 in his last nine, and only one of those nine games has he had a save percentage below 941. Like, huh. every game is 941 and over. It, it's like you, I mean, okay, sometimes you're going to look at the expected goals and say, oh, he's not saving a ton of goals right. above expectations, whatever. But you don't need to when you're putting up 941 and better in eight out of nine games. It's like, I'm doing my job. And if yep. my team does, like, I, I commend that even better sometimes because it's harder that way sometimes to stay in the game and to have an impact. And Joy Decord, good for him. And I loved his interview with his dad on NHL Network after the Winter Classic because his dad basically said, hey, he went to Arizona State University when they didn't have a program. They started a program. He had to battle. Like, people think that, hey, it's easy. Good. No, it doesn't work that way. And last year, I mean, there he was with Seattle's Farm Club going to Game 7 and overtime in the Calder Cup, you know, and he came out on the wrong end of it, but he's just kept on grinding. And Shana, we had just talked about it. I mean, he had like four different cameos in the NHL that were really, really short. 
And this has been the longest runway he's been given. And it's it's a super cool story right now. It really is. Like, there's the human element of it. And then it's the Seattle Kraken element of it. Yes. But they haven't had that steady goaltending. And Grubauer has fallen short. And they had to rely on Martin Jones last year. So mm -hmm. I think it's like a little bit of everything. And the Kraken are a team that are really good defensively. Like, I feel like we forget that sometimes because we focus on the goals against that come out really high. Like, you look at year one and it was like, this is one of the best defensive teams, but if a rush shot happens to get passed, it's going in the back of the net. So if yeah. a goaltender can, you know, rise to the occasion and be what they need when something slips through the cracks, that that's all they're asking for. And they absolutely have that right now. And I love that it's going to make a discussion like when Grubauer is healthy, if he can keep this up, they're going to have a little goalie battle. And if he can win it out, Man. that's fantastic for him. Like, I'd love to see him. Just keep earning the opportunity. It's always fun when someone can emerge when, you know, somebody else is out of the lineup. And then you have that competition when you come back. Like, let's see what he does with it, you know, yeah. when he has that pressure of having to match up against somebody else for that playing time. I love it. I think that's great. A uh, little competition happening with the PWHL. Uh, road teams all win. 3-0 and road teams. Boston, who's supposed to be the best team, um, did lose to Minnesota, but Nicole Hensley had a fantastic game for Minnesota, so she was good. But uh, it's Toronto, uh, not Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa was physical, was rough. It was a good game. Um, what do we make up of the uh, first three games in the PWHL so far and what your expectation is for this this league that it, it's getting support now? Fans are going and it's fun and good atmospheres. Yeah, I'm loving it so far. Um I do expect Boston to be a team to beat, absolutely. But, like, Minnesota is right there. You know, you look at – they have a, a heavy USA hockey influence. You have yeah. Kendall Coyne Schofield. You have Grace Zumwinkle. You have Taylor Heisey, who is an absolute superstar. Like, they're so good. They have really reliable goaltending. So, it's like there's going to be really good competition there. Um, New York over Toronto, I think we learned immediately, like, don't count out New York. Like, they have superstar talent like Abby Rock and Alex Carpenter, but they're not the same household names as the Marie-Philippe Poulins and the Hillary Knights of the world. But I'm looking at them and I go, don't underestimate that talent. Like, that team, that is going to be a team that's going to be really hard to match up against. Toronto, I don't think it's going to be the team to beat this year. I look at them and I go, I love Jocelyn LaRock. I really do, but I would have gone Elena Mueller at second overall. And I think that's something that might burn them. I don't think they have the star power of the other teams. And, you know, we're already learning about Ottawa. This is a team that a lot of the players on, they were really good in their NCAA days and got to be those leading scorers. But at the national level where we have, you know, grown to know them more, they're in depth roles. Someone like Brian Jenner is not someone you think of as like a leading scorer because there are players higher on the depth chart for mm -hmm. team Canada. She's more of a defensive role, but it's like, here's your chance to be that leading star. And I think she's going to run with the opportunity. And then you have these really fun wild cards, like a Connie Shiga, like love that for them. Daryl Watts, like that is the roster. Like I am maybe the most fascinated with because of that, like all-star potential, but it's just, it's so good so far. It's physical, it's skilled. It's everything you want to see and more. And most importantly, it's accessible. So there is yes. zero reason not to watch. And I absolutely love that. So your future goal for the league as far as growth, number of teams, is what? Oh, I mean, full expansion would be great. I'd love to see 20 but like teams how quick do you, how do you, because again, I do think we're, like, it has launched really well here. And the hope is that, you know, attendance maintains a terrific pace. Like, how quick do you, would you like to see those behind this league uh, be willing to grow, to grow it and expand it? I think that the talent pool is there to expand. You know, when you look at everybody that didn't make it from the PWHPA, the PHF, and the ever-growing NCAA level, plus international players that I think are going to be more willing to come over after a year, you know, because of the season starts and things like that. 
I think that there's the potential to grow two teams in a year. I'd be really interested to see if someone like Pittsburgh gets a team soon, Buffalo, Detroit, you know, those areas. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes two years, though. Maybe the focus is, you know, growing salaries first and stabilizing everything. But I think Mm -hmm. if they could grow by maybe two teams every like two, three years, you know, that could be really interesting to me because you look at the NHL, like there's money in expansion, Mm -hmm. you know, just from the mere fact of expansion alone, there's more money in TV deals, which I would imagine that would grow, you know, with regional sports networks, plus something a little more national than YouTube streams. Um, something, you know, a little more higher paying than YouTube streams. I think that the potential is going to be there and then you'll have more sponsorship deals for individual players and things like that as well. So, um, I just think they need to keep their feet on steady ground, but if the season goes well, I don't see why you can't add a team or two. That European impact, I think would not only help the league, but would help international hockey because it would be Canada, USA. And then you would have all the European countries that are trying to make a push know that, Hey, there's something more like, let's build our program because there's more that PWHL is there for you to be able to, to, um, to make a living and to, to play hockey longer. So, um, for me, that's a big, uh, important part. And that's why the NHL expanded a lot, right? Through yep. you know the many years of the 80s and 90s because it was, well, we have more of a pool of players now to uh, to to bring in. And uh, the competitive, competitive level gets uh, gets higher that way. Awesome. Shana, terrific insight as always. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next week. We'll wrap up Sabres Live right after this. Sabres Live, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We don't really work. They call it work, but it's more like something that occupies their time that we love doing. Now, sometimes it gets interrupted by like the really fun stuff, which is the bandits. And I can't be in two places at once tomorrow, Marty. It's wing night. The bandits are home to Colorado. It's a rematch of the last two championships. It's going to be Amazing. And ticket sales have been phenomenal this year. Banditland has been packed. And if you're looking to go last minute, check it out at uh, bandits.com slash tickets. I love it. I love it that it's wing night. I love it that uh, it, it's been packed. I My son was at the game last year when they won the championship. He still talks about it. Still has his t-shirt. Still has his big orange hat. The big hat. Yeah. Love it. Love the big hat. But uh, I think it's fun. I, I Whenever we get a break in the schedule, we can make it to a Bandits game. You go more than I do, but I love going. Yes, I was there at the last game. They lost the heartbreaker to Georgia, so revenge will be on their mind as far as Colorado in general. It's presented by UBMD Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. It is wing night in Banditland tomorrow. I'm about to indulge in uh, leftovers of the best kind, Lancaster's Broadway Deli. Thanks to last oh, night's sandwich, catering. Huh? Yes, yes, yes. So it's, it's going to be a good day before I head to Rochester. But the NHL may not be in the good day mode when thinking about television ratings for the Winter Classic. You have oh. the final 30 seconds of the show to tell us why they're down and what they can do to go up. Well, I'll tell you why they're down. The last three years have been down because uh, sports betting apps have been very accessible and people tend to watch what they put money on. And the NHL on New Year's Day when there's only one game is not a very bettable type of moment. So they watch college football. They watch the NBA. They watch the NFL. So they don't tune in. So that's why I think it's been down the last three years. All right. Well, I see you tomorrow night in studio. Uh, Yes, I'll be there. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Sabres and Pens. We'll see you then. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.